0: Welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by the full squad today, Ricky LaBlue and Mike McDaniel. What's going on, gentlemen?
1: I'm tired, (laughs) y'all. Ricky (laughs) moves. I have been moving stuff into the new apartment for the better part of three days now. And uh, the kid is tired. The kid's ready for a break.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm drinking a glass of white wine. That's what I'm doing.
1: Are you kidding me,
2: distinguished?
1: Like as much as you do on what is it, tapped or untapped, whatever the hell that app is that you're (laughs) damn addicted to, and you're drinking white wine.
2: Drinking white wine tonight, a glass before I get back to work at the conclusion. That is that
0: is extremely disappointing, sir.
2: I'm sorry, I. can't do can't do beer and I just something something white yeah
0: <laughs> nothing, nothing, hey nothing wrong with a little white wine I'm more of a red wine guy myself uh, currently sipping on a white claw natural lime surge not something I would ever purchase we are just working our way through all of the alcohol that was left here during football season by my uh, many distinguished guests that came through Blacksburg but hey Ricky you mentioned moving And uh, a lot of figures in the world of college football are indeed on the move. The coaching carousel is moving at 115 miles per hour and there's No way to stop it at this point. The implications for the ACC Coastal, for Virginia Tech, and for the nation are jarring. And you are seeing the college football landscape being changed each and every day. We're going to talk about that. But first, we got to thank our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to. If you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you, be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, so what's happened since we last talked? David Cutcliffe and Duke mutually part ways. That may have happened before we last talked. The big one happened at, I believe, around 5.15 p.m. on Thursday. Bronco Mendenhall abruptly announces his resignation as the head football coach at the university of Virginia. And then something that's been in the works for a long time did come to fruition. It happened just today on Monday officially, but anyone who was paying attention knew that Miami wasn't doing a very good job, hiding this one, pursuing Oregon head coach, Mario Cristobal. He was given until midday today to accept the job or Manny Diaz would have been retained. He ultimately did accept the job. Manny Diaz is out at the university of Miami and Mario Cristobal returns to where he played his college football to where he started his career as a graduate assistant. He will be a very well compensated head coach at the university of Miami. You know, all of this on top of Marcus Freeman being promoted to the head coach of Notre Dame, of course, after Brian Kelly goes down to LSU. Lincoln Riley now at USC. And Brent Venables, no longer the defensive coordinator at Clemson, he will lead the Oklahoma Sooners, a school, again, that he has ties to from earlier in his coaching career. If that's a lot to process, if that's a mouthful, yeah, I think so too. Gentlemen, rapid reactions here. It's hard to have one because it seems like we're having to – analyze and accept new information on an hour to hour basis over the course of the last few weeks. It's a different world than it was just a few weeks ago.
1: This has been the most consequential, the craziest and the stupidest coaching carousel that I think I've ever seen as an adult. Um, nothing has gone by the book at, at any point throughout this coaching carousel um I obviously you know took a lot of flack for my thoughts on Lincoln to, to USC and I'll stand by it yeah, I'll, I'll just and that's fine that, that's okay I don't really care I'm, that nobody changed my mind um but the you know kind of bringing it back to how things affect tech I mean the Bronco Mendenhall one just sent me for a loop like I don't I still don't get that. Um, Like generally when a coach resigns, the coach has, you know, like a statement that is put in the official school statement, right. When the coach leaves, I don't know if y'all read Broncos um, or the, the, the official UVA release when Bronco resigned, there was not a single word from Bronco Mendenhall in that statement um something leads me to believe that there was a a um a disagreement between carla williams and bronco Menenhall, and bronco just said you know what i don't need this and i'm just gonna leave and um i could be i absolutely could be off base on that but that's just kind of the vibe i get either way virginia for all of their you know all of the the positive pub that they got for the last two seasons, uh, which as it turns out, was mostly unfounded. They're starting over from scratch just like us, and um, it certainly is encouraging um, the fact that UVA now has to figure out all the same problems that we've got to. So and then, of course, Miami is just a cesspool. i have I have all the respect in the world for our boy Cam Underwood, um, who's a huge a huge cane, but that program is just an absolute train wreck. And I have no respect for, for that program whatsoever.
0: Yeah, and Ricky, kind of to piggyback of what you were saying about a potential disagreement, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that because Bronco Mendenhall has a longstanding track record of being a very weird dude. Go back to his opening Absolutely. press conference with yeah. UVA, just the way he talks, he does not sound like a college football coach. He seems to embody a mentality of totally thinking differently than the average guy in the industry. So maybe abrupt retirement is not out of the question. At one point, I did think, well, you know what UVA had on defense this year, and perhaps it was a situation like many of us suggested should have happened with Justin Fuente last year, where we'll keep you, but we're going to push your guys out. Well, Bronco Mendenhall has been rolling with his same staff you know, since he was at BYU. And I wouldn't imagine that he would take kindly to that. That being said, is the real solution uprooting the lives of every single member of that staff, those people who have followed by you for their entire careers? I don't know. I don't believe it. It's a fun conspiracy to get behind them.
1: I mean, I I could be wrong, but like, I felt that way as soon as it happened. Like, it's not something that I just kind of like built up you know over time it, it it just felt really odd to me and Andrew you bring up a great point again Bronco is just a weird guy I mean the the guy the guy greenlit a third down pass to a left tackle right so he's obviously just a weird dude obviously um, not everything's there <laughs> yes so I don't know but the the point still stands that the ACC is going through a lot of uh, a lot of turnover right now and it's wild to think that Pat Narduzzi is now like the most secure, stable head coach in the conference. Like Dabo obviously is is pretty secure, but Dabo is going to have to replace his defensive coordinator, possibly his offensive coordinator. And he's coming off one of the worst seasons he's had over the last several, several years. So like the arrow is trending up for Pitt. Everyone else is kind of like, I don't know, all over the place. Now maybe Pitt comes back down to earth when Kenny Pickett goes to the draft, but, um, I don't know, man. The ACC is just in, in a really weird spot right now. You've got a lot of stability in, Pitt, in in Pittsburgh. You've got a lot of stability at Wake Forest. You've got a lot of stability at NC State. But Miami has no clue what they're doing. Uh, Clemson is going to have to make some really key hires at, at assistance. Virginia Tech, a new head coach. Virginia, new head coach. Things are changing, man. Who, who would have thought that Dino Babers would have been the coach that lasted the longest out of that class of 2016 hires.
0: Yeah, not me, but Ricky, <laughs> you bring up an interesting point about how Clemson's going to have to kind of rebrand the sense. And it's not just Brent Venables, who is probably the most consequential assistant coach in all of major college football over the course of the last, you know, three quarters of a decade to a decade, but the athletic director might be headed to the U as well. I mean, that's a yep. complete overhaul for an athletic department that, and We'll see what kind of chops Dabo really has. With that being said, the stability of Tony Elliott, I'm starting to believe, might be a little more steadfast here. We know he was in conversations to be the you know, head coach of Duke, the head coach of the University of Virginia. Reports are coming in today, and who knows, nothing's official yet, that Virginia is leaning towards Penn State co-defensive coordinator Anthony Poindexter, a guy who was on that staff previously, I believe an alumni of the university. And it seems that Duke might be leaning towards Dallas Cowboys assistant George Edwards, who spent the last, I don't know, six years. Who the hell is that? Basically, (laughs) for the better part, of since we were in college. (laughs) the defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings, a Duke alum, just laid off after last year, uh, now with the Dallas Cowboys. Now that is, who knows, but Duke seems like the kind of place that would hire a no-name guy like that. And I don't know why they would do that, but it seems like-
1: uh, That's pretty wild. That might be
0: the direction that they're (laughs) leaning in. I get, who knows? Uh, But yeah, it's certainly interesting. But Mike, I made the point earlier today on Twitter, You know, I worked for an ESPN radio affiliate, so I spent the entire day listening to nationally broadcast ESPN radio programs. And it seems like all of these national guys were like, wow, okay, Mario Cristobal, perfect. Miami's going to dominate the Coastal. Well, they've been in the ACC since 2004 and have one Coastal Division Championship. They have now five coaching changes. Is it that simple? I don't think it is. I think that some of the the issues there are much more uh, deep seated at the U. What, What are your thoughts?
2: They've always had talent. They've always had talent. This is more of a culture change identity change. I think Mario Cristobal is a really, really good hire for Miami, but I will say this. If he can't fix it, nobody can like, I don't know who you bring in. If Cristobal doesn't work, he is a proven head coach, a really good head coach, a really good recruiter X's and O's football wise, a very good head football coach. Um, You know, at the very least a top 10 head coach in college football. If he can't fix Miami, nobody can. So no, I don't think this gets fixed overnight. What I do think is that Miami has always been recruiting very well. And Cristobal is a good recruiter. And He has built a very good culture and had built a very good culture at Oregon. And they have been a consistent winning program in the PAC 12 and and very good under his watch. And he's going to try to implement that same thing at Miami, his alma mater. And he's a good coach. So I think he'll figure it out. But if he doesn't, I don't know where Miami goes from here. It's gonna be really interesting to watch over the next few years, but no, I don't think it's an overnight fix. The national media would love for it to be an overnight fix because if Miami's good, college football is better, right? You think about the early nineties and what they were able to do with Butch Davis and Larry Coker and they had national championship winning teams and they were real exciting, you know, really exciting brand for college football. And everybody loved those old Florida State Miami rivalries. But I'll tell you what, it is not an overnight fix at Miami. They do have a ton of talent. It's the culture that's an issue at Miami, in my opinion. They do have a promising young quarterback, though. If he sticks around, Tyler Van Dyke, um, I, I think he can certainly be be very good moving forward. But there's a lot of questions with Miami still, but it's more from a cultural standpoint than from a talent standpoint. They've always had talent.
0: Yeah, it's certainly... Uh... You know, more than an overnight fix. And I think that most people who are being intellectually honest could agree with that. I think the addition of Dan Radakovich, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Clemson Athletic Director will be a big move. But like you said, Mike, a lot of people have brought up this. They'll have the highest assistant coaching, you know, salary pool in the conference now. And obviously that's big. But at the end of the day, that impacts recruiting more than anything else. And recruiting hasn't been the issue. <laughs> Something has been up there. Something about the culture has been amiss and has led to you know nearing on two decades now, pretty much about two decades of underperformance on the football field compared to where that standard is supposed to be. So I'm curious, were you surprised, Mike, though? I mean, we know you're a Notre Dame guy. Were you surprised with the promotion of Marcus Freeman? Is this like a Luke Fickle rejected the job thing or help me out?
2: Notre Dame... Since 2016, when they had that four and eight year and Brian Kelly cleared house, uh, they have put an emphasis on building a different type of culture than they had before and taking the program to the next level, which is inarguable. Um, They've been at two college football playoff games since then, and they have yet to kind of get over the hump as far as beating like a Clemson or an Ohio State, you name it, right, Alabama like those types of programs, those blue bloods. But as far as elevating the profile of Notre Dame, I think it's inarguable from 2016 on five straight 10 plus one seasons, Brian Kelly was able to do that. And a big reason why he was able to do that was that he built a really strong assistant coach staff around him, right? Um, something that we always talk about with Clemson and the reason why they were able to build the program that they have under Dabo Swinney was because they had all these really good assistants that have worked under Dabo over the years. Um, one of which Venables, of course, moving on to Oklahoma now. Um, So when Notre Dame lost Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly tried to make Marcus Freeman the highest paid defensive coordinator in the SEC. He tried to make, or I think it was the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football he was trying to make Freeman. Um, He was trying to make Tommy Reese the highest paid offensive coordinator in the SEC. Freeman gets the Notre Dame job and Reese stays on. So what does that tell me? That tells me that the Notre Dame players had a lot of say in this discussion. And Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, said as much. You know, they didn't want to have somebody else come in. We, we, I love Luke Fickle. I think he's a great head coach. But they didn't want to have somebody else come in and create and, and uproot the culture that they had built because it's working. This was supposed to be a rebuild year for Notre Dame. They went 11-1. and won. You know that they're in the Fiesta Bowl, right? I mean, this was supposed to be the rebuild year where they, where they were supposed to win. Like, I think they're over under Vegas like eight and a half. They're supposed to lose three or four games this year. They they lost one. You know, um, this was a culture. It was eye. to a playoff team. It was to a playoff team. It was to Cincinnati, a playoff team. So which also, Mike. Congrats to you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank your, you. Thank you. Five dollars and plus twenty two hundred. I took it as a flyer. My only regret is I didn't bet more. But yes, hundred and ten dollars on that. So I was I was pretty happy about that. But yeah, it, it was a culture hire. So no, I was not I was not surprised about Freeman. I mean, Freeman was a a very fast riser. Um, and he's He's just got an it factor about him. You know what I mean? Like he, he went in and not to just make this a Notre Dame podcast, but he went in early in the year and Notre Dame's defense was not very good when he first got there. He was trying to implement his scheme. Remember we were talking about Justin Hamilton last year and like how Virginia Tech's defense struggled. We're like, man, he's implementing his scheme. It was a COVID year. It was really weird. Marcus Freeman comes in. They're not very good the first three or four games defensively. And then it clicked. And Notre Dame's defense through the rest of the year was really, really good. It, it basically started after the Virginia Tech game. The Notre Dame defense was lights out after that. Did
1: and, you see the video of Freeman getting introduced to the yes. team as the head coach? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I yes. think to me that that, ex, that that shows you everything you need to know about freeman's position within the program
2: winning the locker room and i think dave might have said this actually ricky winning the locker room is more important than winning the press conference and i don't know if you dave dave said that somebody said that on twitter i didn't say that
1: but dave is intelligent enough to say something like that
2: and if it wasn't dave it was someone else intelligent uh that, that said it but i thought that was a great point and it was clear that this was a hire that the players got behind but you know freeman has the chops too I mean, he's been pursued by a number of programs uh, as a potential future head coach. I mean, he built really good defenses at Cincinnati. He's coached under two highly successful head
1: coaches. Yep, Like he's qualified. Yeah, And I don't think anyone's saying that he isn't qualified. I was kind of surprised that Swarbrick didn't like make a, I don't think he made a serious run at Luke Fickle. I think he was just like Marcus Freeman's the guy and hey, I, I can't really say that he isn't. I think for for the timing, the way everything went down with Brian Kelly, I'm not sure that Notre Dame could have made a better hire. And considering Tech plays Notre Dame, you know, like, what, three out of every five years or something like that, it's something that Tech's going to have to to worry about moving forward because I do think Freeman will at least keep Notre Dame at like an eight to nine floor. Right. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, for the purposes of uh, getting ahead of a story, and this could backfire in our face, it has in the past, people saying Anthony Poindexter headed to UVA, co-defensive coordinator at Penn State, as I mentioned before, a guy with a lot of ties to the university. If that is the case, what's your rapid reaction to the hire?
1: It's going to be honest. I don't know a ton about him. Um, Obviously, Penn State's defenses have been pretty good. I don't know how much credit you're going to give to Poindexter for that, um, given that he's only been there for one year um obviously being a virginia native coming from lynchburg he's someone who knows the state exceptionally well he knows the virginia program exceptionally well he coached there for several years um but yeah i'm not sure that poindexter is someone that's gonna be you know someone that you really worry about um considering that he's never been a head coach before um Again, he's only, he was only in Penn state one year. So I'm not too, I, that hire doesn't scare me, right? Like I'm not saying that Poindexter can't have some success there, but that hire doesn't really scare me. The, the Bronco Hall hires kind of scared me early on because of what he did at BYU. I thought it was an odd fit, but you obviously felt like Bronco had enough success in his past where he could replicate that somewhere. Poindexter hasn't really done that. So you're really hiring someone who's going to be wet behind the ears, um, but you know we'll see. He knows knows the state exceptionally well.
2: The one thing I will say is that Anthony Poindexter seems like a recruiting hire, which could be. I do wonder, and and this is this is my my theory with it is that Anthony Poindexter, you know, went to UVA, coached at Penn State. You know, UVA when when Bronco resigned. You know, UVA needs to keep up with Virginia Tech in the state of Virginia now, which sounds ridiculous, but we're like two days, that we'll talk about some of these assistant coaches that Brent Pry has, has chosen to bring on board, but they're already out recruiting in Virginia Beach and Richmond. Like, they're wasting
0: Yeah, no Derek Jones is
2: already in my neck of the woods on, yeah. on a jet. Yeah, they're, they're wasting absolutely no time. And if you're UVA or you're Virginia Tech, like you look at the recruiting landscape and the way it's been in recent years, North Carolina, Clemson, Penn State, right? Penn State. You know, those three schools have killed UVA and Virginia Tech in state recruiting. And, you know, Virginia and Virginia Tech both need to do a better job recruiting in the state of Virginia. And Virginia Tech made a hire in Brent Pry that was going to prioritize in state recruiting and rebuilding those relationships. And it's clear now we're less than a week into it. It's clear that that's been a priority here the first like five days of the tenure. And I think Anthony Poindexter, being on a very good recruiting staff at Penn state um, and, and being a UVA alum knows how important the state of Virginia is. So if point is the guy, I think it's a recruiting hire And in some ways, not to just like combat Virginia tech, but I mean, it, it's clear the Hokies are going to make that a priority moving forward. So I think UVA realizes that, Hey, we, we got to do a better job in state too, because I, I knew Bronco was a good coach at BYU. Like I had the same, same thoughts as Ricky, like I knew he was a good coach at BYU. I thought regional recruiting, it didn't make a lot of sense. But I thought if Bronco built up a staff that could recruit in-state well enough, it, it would work fine. And, you know, Bronco develops players, you know, he could develop players on the moon, you know. Like, he's he did a pretty good job recruiting, uh, not recruiting, uh, developing the talent that he had, but he was never out there just recruiting his ass off either. So he did fine with what he had, and I think the next UVA coach now wants to take the, the talent up a notch right in state. And I think point de- a Dexter higher would do that, in my opinion.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly interesting. And, of course, this is not official yet as of the time we are recording here on Monday night, December the 6th. Well, time flies. I can't believe it's already December the 6th. But moving forward now, Virginia Tech going to a bowl game, and we're seeing already – with people opting out of the bull with people entering the transfer portal that this roster is going to look a lot different in 2022 than it did in 2021. Tavion Robinson already in the transfer portal. Trey Turner has gone pro James Mitchell just hours ago, as of the time of this recording has announced that he will be entering NFL draft as well. Tanga Hodge. I don't think that moves the needle for as many people, but nonetheless, he is going pro Amari Barno unsurprising if you said it at the beginning of the year, but he had a very uh, underwhelming, honestly, season here at Virginia Tech this year. He'll be entering the NFL draft as well. Do any of these moves surprise you? Do any of them disappoint you? And I guess keep this in mind as we talk about the bowl game here in a few minutes. With the roster depleted to this extent, does Virginia Tech stand any chance in the bowl game?
1: None of the the opt outs really surprise or you know are, are frustrating. The, the only move we were talking about this before we started recording that's really frustrating for me is Tavian Robinson deciding to to hit the portal. Um, again, we knew Trey Turner wasn't coming back. We knew Amari Barno wasn't coming back. Changa Hodge, again, like you said, Andrew doesn't move the needle. Um, James Mitchell, we all kind of figured he was on his way out too when he participated in senior day ceremonies. But the Tavion Robinson decision for him to hit the portal is is, is disappointing. And I get it, right? Tavion is – he showed a lot of growth in 2021. He's a player that has an NFL future if he's able to put together a productive season elsewhere. And he probably figures that he needs to go find an offense that is a bit more settled and an offense that may uh, be a bit more pass happy uh, for him to show what he can do rather than banking on a coaching staff that hasn't hired an offensive assistant yet. So um, I think that that's probably where we stand at this point. Um, I, I I hope Tavion does excellent wherever he goes. Uh, but for me, that's the one move that's really, really disappointing because I was hoping that the next offensive coordinator and whoever the quarterback is and we'll uh, using a a term that Andrew and I are familiar with QBX, whoever QBX is going to be. I was hoping they would be able to rely on Tavion next year, but obviously that's not going to be the case.
2: Yeah. That was the one too, that was kind of a bummer, like losing Tavion Robinson, but I don't think any of us were really surprised, right? You know, you don't have an OC. I was
1: kind of surprised.
2: I, 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 like I wasn't, I wasn't
1: floored by it, but I yeah. wasn't expecting it to happen.
2: Yeah, I guess my whole thing is like, I and this is after the fact, of course, right? It's like Monday morning quarterbacking it, but like from his standpoint, it's like I, my quarterback's not here, my OC is not here. I don't know what he thinks of Cornelson, whatever, but his OC is not there, his quarterback's probably not there. Very the coach, good. right? But his <laughs> the coach that recruited him, right? Fuente is is gone, and he probably looks at kind of what some of these other offensive skill position guys have done at other schools. Um, some have been more successful than others. But if you look at a receiver like Khalil Pimpleton, for example, that said, you know what? See you, see you guys later and went to Central Michigan and was like second team all Mac or whatever. Um, he's probably thinking, well, I could go. And I'm not saying that Tavian can't play at a P5. I think he definitely can. Uh, but he's probably looking at some of these guys that have gone on um, at, at other positions, even with Hendon Hooker, a quarterback. He's like, all right. Well, maybe I can I can make an impact somewhere else, right? With uh, an offense that's already in place and, and and that's proven. I just gotta learn a playbook. So, probably assess the landscape, just decide that was what was best for him. So, you know, looking back on it, I wasn't, I guess, not too surprised. But
0: all right. As for the bowl placement, pinstripe bull. I know I'm excited. As a native of the uh, New York metropolitan area, got a lot of people up there that I had the opportunity to go visit now. Uh, Virginia Tech-Maryland, of course, an old ACC rivalry, a regional game. Uh, Maryland got off to a 4-0 start and then basically underwhelmed the rest of the way. We're only really able to score against some of the lesser teams in the Big Ten down the stretch, that being Indiana and Rutgers, who they beat in the final week of the season, to clinch bowl eligibility. Does this game move the needle for you guys at all? I I feel like this, right? I think the matchup itself between Virginia Tech and Maryland, because of the regional ties, because of the old ACC rivalry, and the fact that we've just turned this page are getting people hyped for the game in a way that they wouldn't had the circumstances not exactly been the same. I think the Brent Pry hire, regardless of the fact that Brent Pry has pretty much nothing to do with this game at all whatsoever has rejuvenated the fan base so you you do have people pumped up in a way but i mean bull games generally don't matter that much anymore anyway we see what happens when you have every player who's worth something opt out in preparation for the draft or heading to the transfer portal does this matter to you or are you already turning the page
1: i think it's a cool matchup for the fan base in the sense that you know for a lot of us we remember virginia tech and maryland being in the acc and um that that regional rivalry was real and it still is to an extent on the recruiting trail i mean tech and maryland recruit against each other quite frequently uh maryland obviously ditched for the money and you know they're they're enjoying their uh cemented status as a basement dweller in the big 10 which you know that's what you get um The interesting thing about Maryland is, like, if you look at their losses, most of these were against just really good teams. I mean, their schedule was brutal this year. They got Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan all in the same season. Like, that's a brutal schedule. And uh, Mike Loxley has not really turned the page there. A lot of people thought he was going to be able to – bring Maryland up to, you know, maybe like an Iowa level or something like that. And it just, it's, has it, I mean, it,
0: it's an uphill climb at Maryland, right?
1: Sure. I mean, it's an uphill climb like it is for any kind of mid-level power five team. And we see coaches, you know, bring programs up at the power five level all the time and, and, and get them competitive. And Loxley just hasn't done that. I mean, he had the, the obviously bringing in, Natalia uh, Tagovailoa, that was supposed to be kind of a, a, a transformative move for this program, and Tagovailoa hasn't played bad, right? Like, he had a decent year, but um, Loxley just hasn't really gotten anything trending in the right direction. But considering that they went 6-6 six and six against this schedule, I mean, again, this schedule is just absolutely outrageous. Now, granted, most of those teams, they didn't really play very many of them close, right? They got blasted by Michigan State. They gave up 50 to Michigan. They gave up 60 to Ohio State. They gave up 50 to Iowa. So even though their schedule was brutal, it's not like they played those teams very closely. So it's a winnable game for Tech for sure. Uh, But considering all the guys that are not going to be suiting up for the Hokies, it would be hard to, to favor them. That being said, I think it's a cool game. It's just kind of a novelty item. It would be nice for Tech to win this game on the recruiting trail, but in the end, it doesn't really mean much.
2: Yeah, I'm, I, this is uh, this is a very weird bowl game. The, like, the last bowl game with, like, a lame duck coach, I, I don't want to say lame, I don't want to call Frank a lame duck coach, but, like, he retired. He, <laughs> he retired, and they hired Fuente, and they played in the Independence Bowl, and it was, like, first one to 100 against Tulsa.
0: Yeah, I mean, regardless, regardless of how you how you going out, a lame duck coach is a lame duck coach. It's yeah. 21.
2: I mean, it, it was first one to 100 in the Independence Bowl, right? And at least you were like, oh, well, you know, let's win this one for Frank Beamer. It Like, this one, it's like, yeah, I guess, like, let's win this one for J.C. Price. But it's not like we're, like, taking Price out back and shooting him. I mean, he's going to be the assistant head coach on the next staff, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if anything – for the seniors that are playing you want to wait for the seniors right uh but a lot of them are opting out so i don't know it'll be a fun exhibition game try to win the bowl game
1: i think for me it's more about sending jc price's head coaching career out on a positive note right like this is this is good probably i mean this is well, anything can happen but this is probably the last time jc price will be the head coach of virginia tech football i think we can all Say that that's probably accurate. It would be really cool for him personally to get a dub in this game. So I really hope he's able to finish his head coaching career at two and one. That would be very, very cool.
0: I don't know, Ricky. You know, when uh, Brent Pry immediately turns things around overnight at Virginia Tech and then <laughs> Texas <laughs> continues to sputter, James Franklin goes to Texas, oh, Pry goes back to Penn State, JC Price promoted from within boom, the JC Price era is permanent.
1: I, I do think that if there's, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but if there's any job that Brent Pry would leave Virginia tech for, it would obviously be Penn state, but James Franklin did just sign like a decade long extension, which is the, the new fad now is to sign your, sign your, your, your decent, but not great head coach to a, a 10 year deal. Uh, but I don't know. Like I've,
0: well, and Miami of all places just paid nine million dollars for a buy out of their current coach, nine million dollars to buy their new coach out of Oregon, and then signed him to a 10 year contract worth. Dude, north Kirby of $9 Smart million is a year. making
1: Kirby Smart is making south of seven million a year. And and Kirby has built the only program in the SEC that can challenge Alabama.
2: It didn't like, challenge him last Saturday. I'll tell well, you. That. You're not oh, wrong. Shit. You're absolutely correct. I, but I agree. A, I, I agree with you overall though. Yes. I, agree, I do agree yes. with you overall. But but like, but, oh my God. I was shocked. Like, by coach, that
1: like and and this goes back to the the point I let off with, right? Like this has been the dumbest, stupidest coaching carousel I've ever seen. Like That's coaches that. that are not worth it are getting just oodles and oodles of cash. And it makes no sense.
0: Yeah. I mean I th- I think it's been particularly fun to observe. Oh, it's that- been it's been absolutely in- incredible chaos. as an observer.
1: Like it is. It's absolute chaos, but in in terms of like athletic directors operating their 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 departments at a competent level, it, it seems like people have just lost their ever loving minds.
0: It'll definitely be interesting to see long term whether you know, these long, big, guaranteed contracts end up being something that, I mean, if it works out in mass, I guess it'll continue. But would that be something that these athletic departments move away from? I mean, not all of these guys can succeed, right? I mean, you have Mel Tucker, a guy that has a barely over 500 record as a head coach, resetting the market in Power Five college football.
1: <laughs> lunacy, absolute, abject lunacy yeah it like I, I it just it blows my mind right like we we sit here and we, we hear complaints about how departments were hurting last year because of covid and meanwhile departments have spent almost a hundred million dollars in buyouts this year like I don't want to hear it anymore i i I don't want to hear any department ever again complain about oh well revenues are down, oh well maybe if you didn't spend a hundred million on on coaching buyouts you wouldn't have this damn problem. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. I've gone in the wrong order of operations here from how I wanted to approach this podcast, but we've talked about the Brent Pry hire and how judgment can't truly be made until we see the kind of staff that he builds. Well, two coaches have been hired: Derek Jones out of Texas Tech and Sean Quinn, most recently the head coach of Savannah State, a Division II program, where he spearheaded a Miraculous turnaround for a program that really was in the dumps. No official titles have been given to either of these guys, though based on their past work experience, we can definitely envision what direction they're headed. I mean, it seems like a lot of Virginia Tech fans online are getting behind these guys. The hires seem to make sense to me strategically. But I saw Ricky LeBlue tweet that he was underwhelmed, perhaps. Was that you? Ricky LeBlue of all people.
1: I mean, well, that would be shocking, right? Rick, me being underwhelmed at a move that Virginia Tech made. I mean, come on. Um, the that only one like that you, I'm, Rick, <laughs> the only one that doesn't that I'm not sold on, and I, I did tweet out that I was trusting uh Brent Pry's judgment on this one was the Sean Quinn hire. Um that one makes almost no sense to me. Like he, I, I don't even know what level savannah state is and and that's and that's where virginia tech got this guy from um i i like i again i'm I'm gonna trust prize judgment on here because really that's all i have to go off of right like i i'm i i'm supportive of the brent Pry pry hire i think it's a good hire so in turn i have to trust his judgment on this but i don't know man like this one seems like it was just kind of a It was easy for Pry to do. So we did it, but I I really hope I'm wrong. Derek Jones, on the other hand, if he's a position coach, that's a tremendous hire as far as I'm concerned. Um, He's been a good recruiter in the past. Uh, He has a lot of experience recruiting at the power five level. Um, I don't think he should be the defensive coordinator, considering that his head coach just got canned at Texas tech. And that wasn't exactly a great uh, performance by that team, obviously this year, Um. I think if Derek Jones is a position coach, he's a tremendous fit. I think he'll be a great hire. I think he'll work his ass off. And I think tech's going to really be proud of the results I'm waiting and seeing on Sean Quinn. I have no idea what he's going to be able to do for the program. Um, His resume certainly doesn't impress the hell out of me, but the, the thing that kind of is interesting the most to me is that there have been no titles announced with these guys. And that that leads me to wonder if A Pry is waiting to see who else he's able to, to get and these guys can go elsewhere, or B, if this is going to operate a little bit like Justin Fuente's program did, in which things are just very secretive and we don't we don't get a lot of information. So I don't know what the answer is. Either one of them are are viable options. Um I really hope both of these hires turn out. Obviously, that'd be that'd be great. But I'm definitely a bigger fan of bringing on Derek Jones than I am Sean Quinn.
2: I think it's pretty safe to say Quinn's going to coach linebackers. I mean, you look at the majority of his uh, coaching stops, he's had some hand on the defensive side most of the time with the linebackers. So my guess is that Sean Quinn will coach linebackers. Derek Jones would likely coach corners. A question I have is What does that mean for Ryan Smith? Does Ryan Smith move to safety's coach? Is Ryan Smith uh, going to be a part of this moving forward? We haven't heard anything yeah, yet. Is he
1: going to stick around? We're going to stick know if around. That's happen.
2: Right. I mean, we haven't heard anything yet as of the recording of this podcast. So I, I think part of the reason why uh, Pry is probably holding off is because I think he's likely. Still, I mean, he's definitely still in the process of hiring people, and I do wonder if he's just getting his guys in the door and seeing who he gets in the door before he slots them. But I think it's probably pretty safe to say that Quinn will, at the very least, be the linebackers coach, um, and we'll see what happens with Sean Quinn. Um, I'm sorry, not Sean Quinn, Derek Jones. But it does seem like Derek Jones will likely be coaching cornerbacks. That's something that he's done a multitude of times in his career.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the strategic upside of Derek Jones, right? I mean, Brent Price said in his opening press conference, we're going to recruit our footprint. And everyone gets so excited about the state of Virginia in that regard. And that's probably a big reason. It's almost certainly actually a big reason why Brent Pry was hired, his experience recruiting in the Mid-Atlantic. But Tennessee, North Carolina, even South Carolina into Georgia, at this point in the modern college football world, are part of Virginia Tech's footprint, and Pride doesn't really have a ton of extensive experience recruiting those areas. Enter Derek Jones, 12 years at Duke. He was able to do the impossible, and I'm waiting for the next guy to figure this one out bring four star recruits into Duke. He was there during the heyday. The upside of the David Cutcliffe era in Durham. I think he has those connections already. He'll be able to step right in and at least not start from scratch when making inroads in a state that's already very important to Virginia Tech. Now remember, when Justin Fuente had his better recruiting class, it wasn't because of what he was doing in Virginia. He was doing it in North Carolina. Unfortunately, Mac Brown put a stop to that almost immediately upon taking over at UNC for Larry Fedora, but there's still a ton of potential there for Virginia Tech. And they should keep shooting their shot. He seems like a very personable guy. He's already wrote a book. I believe he's written a book, a motivational book. I don't know. Seems like a very football guy move. A guy that is obviously has the personality to elevate himself through the college football ranks. Uh, So yeah, I like that hire. He's got the experience as for the Smith. I mean, like you said, Ricky, it's just going to be a judgment from Brent Pry. Is this the guy when you Brent Pry are coming from linebacker you that you want to coach the linebackers? Is he going to be a plus on the recruiting trail? There is no evidence to suggest that he would. But if he is a you know, a plus developmental coach or even a plus plus developmental coach, maybe that's a trade-off that you're willing to take. I think it would be for Virginia Tech it's a hire that we just come in with not much information and and hope for the best. Because ultimately when you make a head coaching hire, that is what you are entrusting the individual, the individual who you hired to do. All right. Last but not least, gentlemen, basketball, I'll start with you, Mike. Win in Maryland loss at home, not even particularly close to wake forest, What do we make of the last week in Virginia tech basketball?
2: The same issue all year. It's that Virginia tech's backcourt situation, which I think we thought was going to be an upgrade uh, with storm Murphy over with this is just, hasn't been that right. And at first it was, well, he's got to shoot the ball better. Now he's just got to shoot the ball. I mean, he's not even shooting the ball at this point. Uh, Just there's just lost confidence. It seems like, which, Look, to be quite honest with you, if Storm Murphy isn't going to shoot the basketball, then Virginia Tech would have been better off with Wabisa Beattie for a fifth year because at least Beatty plays defense. Uh, no offense to Storm Murphy, but he's just not big enough to defend ACC-level guards, right? On a consistent basis. I don't think he's
1: physical enough either. I mean, even Beatty wasn't really a big guy, but Beatty didn't mind getting physical. physical.
2: Right, and that's why he was one of, and, and everybody liked to just, you know, give BD a bunch of crap for his offensive game. But that's why Beatty was one of the better perimeter defenders in the entire conference in the backcourt is because he just, he had a way of being physical with opposing guards and storm Murphy just isn't that type of player. So storm Murphy's strength coming into the program this year was supposed to be his offense. And he just hasn't, you know, through, through the first nine games, he just has not been that steady offensive player that he was at Wofford you know, can he find his shot and make open shots? I mean, yes, I still, I still believe that, but I'm wondering if his confidence is waning a little bit because I was in attendance for that Maryland game. It just didn't seem like he was willing to shoot the basketball, which makes me pretty concerned. And look, Virginia Tech's backcourt right now, if you don't put Murphy out there, then I mean, are you going to play Sean Padula major minutes? No, he's a true freshman, right? And he's going to be a good player, I think, because he has shown some flashes when he's been playing. I've been really impressed with Darius Maddox. So they have some other options, but I I just, as far as like a primary ball handler is concerned, they almost have to have Murphy out there. So he just needs to start playing better. I think that's their their biggest issue right now. And that showed up in a way that, you know, it was... It was more clear than ever in that Wake Forest game, right, in, in regard to, to Murphy and his offense. Like, he really needs to take a step forward or else Virginia Tech is not going to come anywhere close to their ceiling.
1: Um, Naheem Malin also needs to play better. Like, he he's not having a great year. He's averaging – or he's shooting 35% from the field. Then he's shooting um, – I mean, he is shooting 40% from three, which is, which is pretty solid, but he is shooting 32% on two point shots so far this year Poor. yes, (laughs) that is a, that is a very good way to put it. Um, I think we all kind of expected Naheem lean to be a reliable shooter for this team. And going back to something that I brought up before the season started considering Virginia tech's lack of wing depth, it was extremely important for Naheem Malin to build upon what he did last year. Um, He's, he's not doing it right now. So between storm Murphy's offensive struggles and Naheem Malin's offensive struggles, this backcourt and, and basically the one, two and three are very unsettled for Virginia tech basketball right now. and, KV Aluma's playing pretty solid. Justin Mutz is playing pretty solid. I don't think anyone's really got any complaints overall about their performance so far. But the lack of production from the backcourt and from those, those top three positions for Virginia Tech is, is really what's holding this team back. Um, also against Wake Forest, Wake just shot the lights out and Tech had no chance. Defensively, um, it was an issue. I will, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I didn't get to watch the game but um, you can either chalk it up to either A, Wake just being hot, or B, Tech playing really bad defense. It's probably a mixture of both. I mean, anytime you shoot 63% from the field, that can't all just be hot shooting. So It, I, it,
0: it, it was a mixture of both, but there was certainly a, a noticeable dose of the latter, or a terminal rather than the latter, I should say.
1: So just really they were, they, they, they,
0: There were moments when Tech was trying to make a run, when the game was a little bit closer, because, you know, Tech hung out within 10 for three quarters of the basketball game, essentially. And it seemed like whenever Tech was trying to get something going, Wake would just make a ridiculous shot as the shot clock expired. And it was like, all right, today is their day, not ours. But of course, no one's going to shoot 63% if you're having your best day on the defensive end, right? So you can't give all the credit to just bad luck and Wake Forest being on their game.
1: And also Tech goes three of 13 from three in the second half against Wake, which this isn't going to cut it. Um, so, you know, Mike Young's got some work to do, right? Like this, this team is obviously not playing very good basketball right now. I, I, I gave him a tremendous credit for, for pulling out the win against Maryland, which ended up firing its coach. Like the next day, Mark Turgeon is, it just resigns, which is just odd, right? That, that Mark Tergeron leaves and Bronco Mendenhall leave both after unsuspecting losses to the Hokies. Um, But Mike Young's got to figure some things out. This team's not playing their best basketball right now. And they're fortunate in the sense that they have some time before the ACC schedule really kicks into gear. Um, But not a lot, right? They've got a a matchup in a couple nights against Cornell, which – should be an easy win, obviously. Uh, road trip to Dayton. Um, I don't know what Dayton's team looks like this year, but that has, is historically a pretty competent program. They
0: beat Kansas this year. I can tell you that, Ricky.
1: There you go. It's the Flyers. So, so Dayton's going to be a challenge. Uh, the Bonnies in Charlotte, anytime you play St. Bonaventure, They're that's good. not a guaranteed win. They're a top-20 so. team. They're good. Yeah, so St. Bonaventure is going to be an issue and then they roll right into duke right <laughs> so and then they get unc right, right after that so this is a challenging stretch for the hokies and if they don't come out of this stretch looking like they've got some stuff figured out then i think we've got all of a sudden worry about whether or not this team is capable of making the tournament it's um, and that's
2: cr- and that's crazy to say but that's right on the money
1: yeah i mean I, i'm not going to you know it's it would be easy to sugarcoat this and be like oh they have time to figure it out like no they're playing competent level basketball teams right now, and they're losing. Yeah. I mean, Wake is not like a world beater, right? Like Wake is – I'm not even sure Wake is expected to be a tournament team. And Wake absolutely wiped the floor with them on in Castle. And just a few nights prior, they go to Maryland, who ended up firing their head coach after the game, and they barely beat Maryland. And, and they look bad doing it. So, Tech basketball has got some things figured out.
0: All right, gentlemen. Well, we're on a time crunch tonight. But plenty more coaching news to be solidified in the coming days, in the coming weeks. Plenty more basketball news all throughout the season as Virginia Tech tries to rebound from what has been, frankly, a little bit of a disappointing start, albeit against some stiff competition here in the early going. Any last words?
1: Great review, subscribe, as always. Yep. Um, if you happen to be a, a tech alum in the uh, D.C., Maryland area, try and go to the game at, at a Yankee Stadium. I think it'll be a cool experience, obviously. Um, Andrew, I'm glad that you're going to get to go. I know, you obviously, you're from roughly that area as it is, so I'm happy that you'll be able to go to that game. Um, other than that, yeah, that's all I got.
0: Yeah, if you're trying to go to the pinstripe bowl, section two twenty-three, apparently where all the cool kids are sitting. Oh, like-
1: and if Kenny Pickett wins the Heisman, I'm gonna be sad because that's another notch in in Pat Narduzzi's belt. You don't have to worry about that. I hope not.
0: <laughs> all right, Mike- bugs. <laughs> no, that's that's all Is that going to that be it. the thing that i don't have to worry
2: about Can you take it, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. no, don't, don't worry about
0: that closing statement Hey, right, that's it for us folks thanks for hanging out with us as always like ricky said rate review subscribe uh we saw on spotify rap that a lot of you listen to us more than any other podcast for that if we are your primary source of entertainment and information uh wow interesting choice but we thank you very very much tell your friends if you like it spread the word we appreciate each and every single one of our listeners 2022 going to be a big one but we'll be back with more here in the late stages of 2021 talk to you later this week until then go Hokies